The wonderful thing about this time of year as a road racer, your season's done. Your accomplishments have been accomplished. And now you can turn your mind, your attention, your focus to what happens next. You get to lay these great expectations at your feet and figure out how are you going to accomplish those goals. I love the off season. I love fall because it allows me to like put together these dreams and ambitions about what's going to happen next. For a lot of us, those expectations could be limited to what races we'll do next year. How can we get into even better shape than we were in the years in the past? You know, what opportunities might we have? But for somebody like today's guest, Scott McGill, those expectations are incredible. Not only is he looking at a new team, graduating from AU Volo now to Wildlife Generation, he's looking at a whole new crop of races and different continents. Yes, AE Volo does race in Europe periodically, but Wildlife, their focus is on these European races. I've gotten to watch their Instagram feed more and more during this year. They go to some really neat places and have some incredible opportunities. So those expectations for the mid-20s Scott McGill are just off the chart. With expectations come reality. Reality is sometimes a nasty check on what our goals and ambitions and dreams could be. But reality is just there. Scott and I started talking about doing this show back in June after Pro Crit Championships. We started talking about doing the show because he was the guy that nobody seemed to really be talking about in that criterion. He was the A.E. Volo rider that everybody saw skidding to a stop on his top tube somewhere between corner two to go and one to go. Everybody knew about the other players who were a part of it. Luke Lamperde, your national champ, Sam Bassetti, Eric Young of Elevate, Corey Williams of Legion of Los Angeles, who was unfortunately the person who crashed in that situation. Even Brandon Fury from Project Echelon, who did a exceptional interpretation of an endo in that corner. Like everybody had a name, but Scott, Scott didn't. He was just the evil low rider. And since he was the one who came around the outside in that corner, and he was the one who had the closest vision to what was happening right there because the coverage just didn't capture that little part of the course where everything happened, I thought it'd be great to get him to come on the show and tell us about exactly what happened. My expectations going into this were exceptionally high, but life gets in the way. And while we talked about it in June, we talked about it in July, we talked about it in August, we never got the opportunity to actually sit down and have this conversation. That is, until we met at Charm City Cyclocross in September of this year. I just flat out stalked him down at the trailer, the A.E. Volo trailer, and said, Scott, we got to have this talk. We have to. No more, you're in Europe. I'm in trial. Let's just get it done. So we sat down and we got it done. And the beauty is my expectations are met by the reality that is Scott McGill. I've known of him for years because he's always been the person who beat me in mid-Atlantic bike races, dating back for quite some time now. But now I got to know Scott, the person off the bike, the guy who just likes to talk about his experiences and doesn't 
really care much about data in bike racing. We got to have a conversation that exceeded our expectations. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. It is the world's only collection of top-tier independent cycling content. It's creator-owned. It's creator-driven. It is creator, creator, creator. It is an organization of guys and, and girls who love bike racing, and we want to bring you the best in cycling, whether it be virtual racing with Nowhere Fast, cyclocross with cyclocross radio, or mountain biking during the off-season, the wonderful world of gravel racing with the Grodio, and then whatever it is that Tim Hayes Matt, the little guy, Alan, and Spencer, how bring you on the Slow Ride podcast? I don't know, but it's hilarious, and I love listening to it every week. WideAnglePodium.com. Please go there, become a subscriber, and help support these shows that you've come to for entertainment, education, and news. We are brought to you this week by Source Endurance, source-e.net. Alan is a source endurance athlete. I am a source endurance athlete. We've had many source endurance athletes on the show this year. For example, Ama Ensek, the athlete from last week's show. He's coached by Adam Mills. There are a lot of great people in the bike racing world who are coached by the folks at Source Endurance. The list of top folks like Justin and Corey Williams would not surprise you at all. But then there are also Masters racers and Cat 5s and Cat 4s and people who are just getting into it because they want to be a part of a sport and want to be athletic. You know, couch to 5K sort of things, except on a bike. Go to source-e.net, take a look at the full range of coaching services that they offer, and when you find what you are looking for, use the promo code Criterium Nation, all one word, for $50 off your first month of coaching with Source Endurance. So you've heard both Alan and I in the last couple of weeks talk about Manscaped. Manscaped is our second sponsor for today's show. They are the creators, the originators, the generators of the Lawnmower 4.0 and an entire line of men's grooming equipment that you should really take a look at and figure out how it can help you make me time a little bit better. So we've talked about why it's kind of important for men to, you know, make sure all the nooks and crannies are clean and, and why it's a good idea just to focus on yourself and make sure that you are the best version of yourself that you possibly can be. I want to talk a little bit more today about kind of the engineering behind it. And this is really where I get like super excited and kind of dorked out when we talk about that intersection between engineering and design. So the Lawnmower 4.0, I've been using it now for about a month and a half, and it is wonderful. I am so happy with the quality of this product. It is ergonomic. It fits right in the palm of my hand. It's not too big. It's not too small. It doesn't weigh a ton, but it's definitely hefty there. So if you're in the shower and you're trying to clean yourself up, you're not going to like slip and lose it because you know you don't know it's there. On top of that, it also has a really handy 4000K 4, LED light that helps illuminate some 
some of those little darker places that you may have to go when you're in a shower that doesn't necessarily have the best light in and among itself. The upgraded trimmer itself has the advanced skin safe technology. It is the fourth generation trimmer, of course, that's why it's the Lawnmower 4.0, and it includes a cutting edge with ceramic blades. Now, I've used other metal bladed equipment in the past, and when those get hot and when they start doing their work, one little slip up can end with a lot of unfortunate nicks. And when you're trimming certain areas of the body that are a little bit more sensitive, you want to avoid all the nicks and scrapes and dings and cuts that you possibly can. Those ceramic blades are great. They are a lifesaver. And they also come with this instruction manual. I know, I read the instructions too. And the instruction manual was really very helpful in helping me hone my technique. Did we mention wireless charging? No more cords, no cables, no USB plug-in, no nothing like that. Pure wireless charging. That helps the battery last longer, helps the equipment work better, and it keeps you from fussing with wet hands, with things that carry electricity, you know, just the combination of water and electricity, awful bad. So, get 20% off and free shipping on Manscaped, all the equipment that you could possibly want from them if you use the promo code CRITERIUMNATION at checkout. Go to manscaped.com, use the promo code CRITERIUMNATION, all one word for 20% off and free shipping. Let's get to it with Scott McGill and Alan Schroeder. We're going to talk about A.E. Volo. We're going to talk about Noah Granigan. We're going to talk about wildlife. We get into Fayetteville Cyclocross. We get into all of it. And we're doing that right now. Uh, I am Scott McGill. I am from Boston, Maryland. And I race for A.E. Volo Cycling. But now... For 2022, I know it's a weird way of saying, but now for the future, you are announced as part of a new team. What is that new team? Yeah, for 2022, I'll be joining uh, Wildlife Generation Pro Cycling. How exciting is it to take that step? You know, because Avolo is a U23 developmental squad. Its goal is to push its riders up the ranks into Pro Conti, Pro Road Tour, World Tour, hopefully levels, you've made that first step. How how does that feel? Uh, yeah, it feels good. Danny uh, Van Hout's been doing this for, I think, over 20 years now with the team that formerly known as Jelly Belly, which is now uh, Wildlife. So to join, you know, it's a team that I've, you know, seen for probably close to 10 years now. So to be able to join the team is, uh, you know, very exciting. And yeah, I'm pretty excited. Are you looking forward to being teammates with Alex Hone again? Uh, yeah. So I joined Avolo like midway through the year. So I was only teammates with Alex for tour of Utah, basically. But I mean, we had a great time at Utah. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited. And, you know, he's made, had some really good results the last year. So I'm excited to be able to race with him and, you know, be able to, you know, try and win a lot of races with, with him. So, yeah. Is there a rule with wildlife? And I know that you just, you just got on the team, you know, you're just now getting into the WhatsApp, you know, group chats and everything like that. But is there a rule on wildlife about growing your hair out to 
tremendous proportions? Um, I have no idea. Um, but if there is, I mean, I'm down for anything, whatever ball grow it out. I don't, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love it. Whatever it takes to just be fast and go and win the tour of Romania. That's perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Let's start where we should start with a Volo. You're the first person that we've had on the show who is currently on the team and you know, something, there is something so unique, so very special about a Volo. You guys show up. Some people say that you've got the best looking kits in the, in the whole thing. You're, you're definitely dialed in with that green and yellow. Uh, my wife is a William and Mary grad. So this is kind of a plug for her. They're, you know, green and yellow, but you guys show up and when you're there, everybody knows that Avolo is going to attack early and often and hard and never give up. Where did that ethos come from? Because I know it's not just you and and Cade Bickmore and the guys who are on the team this year. This is something that's been going on for a decade plus. And sorry, before you get going, I just want to double down on that. Like in our team meetings, anytime a Volo is in a race that we're doing, uh, it's almost just like an offhanded comment when we're going through like what we think is going to happen in the race. Everyone's always just like, yeah, uh, well, Avil is just going to attack a lot. And then we just kind of like move forward from there. Um, so it's like, yeah, like it's it's a well-known fact that you guys are going to be real attacky. <laughs> I think it just comes from the the nature of the team. I mean, especially in crits, like we only did a handful of crits this year, but with, you know, with Legion, you just, that's was our tactic to just attack and try and wear their lead out at down as much as possible, pretty much, or just, you know, we're just trying to make the most of every race. So it's going to be hard. You know, Legion is the, you know, they're the best. Justin is the best at probably in the world at what he does. So to beat him in a sprint is going to be pretty hard. So we try to race for the win. And, you know, a lot of times we end up me and Sean were fourth and fifth or fifth and sixth, like a bunch of times. And, and, you know, that's why we attacked is because we didn't want that to happen, but it ended up, you know, it never really worked out in any of the crits, but we tried our best. So it definitely worked out at Joe Martin, for example, with Taylor. And he did the same thing at armed forces too. He didn't end up winning, but you know, getting second is a amazing accomplishment in a race like that. Yeah, exactly. And, and races like that, it's just, we're a, not a crit team. We're a road race team. So like armed forces was the crits were longer. The second day was a hundred K's. Uh, so that's just suits, uh, the capabilities of the riders on the team better than, than these, you know, 60 or 70 minute flat crits. So yeah, even like nationals was a little bit longer and it, you know, almost worked, but <laughs> didn't <laughs> <laughs> and we're definitely going to circle back to that conversation at the end because for at least a month after nationals you were the guy known as the ae volo rider <laughs> i don't understand it like everybody else knew who Corey Williams was who Luke Lamperde was who Sam Bassetti was, but it's just like the, the, the AE Volo rider. Did you see him? It's like, yeah, well, I saw Scott McGill. I, I know exactly who that is with the class of guys who were on your team this year. So Stites, you Cade, 
Sean McElroy. All of you guys have found new homes for next season. All of you have taken progressive steps up the chain. Was that group of guys as close and as tight knit as it looks like from the outside? Um, yeah, yeah, we're all good friends. Um, we talk a good bit uh, when we're not at the races, and we have to spend a lot of time together. So it helps if you can be pretty good friends with each other. And yeah, we're yeah a pretty tight knit group. You know, we Scott, you and I first met at Charm City for cyclocross. You're taking a little bit of a break right now. How much fun was it for you to get out there and to do something, you know, as liberating as cross was this year? We came back from Europe in September, the Monday before um, go cross in, in Roanoke. So I was like, Oh, I got, you know, good form. So I'll jump into this cross race. And I had one bike, one set of tires, I had road shoes with a mountain bike adapter on the bottom. So I was like using road shoes in the cross race, but then I've ended up doing fairly well. So then I, you know, it's pretty hard to find uh, equipment from, you know, sponsor correct or non-sponsor correct. So I, you know, tried to find as many bikes as possible um, and wheels as possible to kind of do like a full cyclocross season that was started last minute. So I'm not, I'm taking a break just cause I was sick. I was planning on doing Cincy, but I got uh, sick during the World Cups. I think that's why my performance wasn't as well as I had hoped. But I should, I'll should i be at uh, Northampton. Alan, is that the famous NoHo Cross? NoHo International. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a great race. Um, it's a pretty fun course, I think. It's definitely a course that suits, you know, someone who's maybe got their road strength still. Yeah, I think uh, you'll enjoy that one a lot. Yeah, I can only do Saturday because Sunday is my grandma's 90th birthday party. Oh. Drive home for that. Can't miss that one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, I um, regrettably had to miss Winston-Salem this year because of a one-year-old's birthday party. So that's on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Equally <laughs> important. Yes. So, uh, yes, Joe Carpasassi was a little disappointed. He, he, he pointed out that the one-year-old probably wasn't going to remember my attendance there, but the 35 year old dad would more than likely remember it. And, you know, I like him. He's a nice dude. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about this idea that's been floating around in the back of my head. And it's a point in time where I think I need to admit that I may have been wrong about something in the past. So here's the basic thesis of my life in the last year and a half was that criteriums are going to save the world and it's okay if you only race crits. Since then, I have been disabused of that belief that the only thing that a road racer in the United States can or should do is criteriums. Rather, if road racing in the United States is to be is to be saved, is to grow, is to evolve, is to push to the next level, you have to be capable of doing it all. And by all, I mean crits, road races, stage races, and gravel. You know, you just have to, you know, like the best guys in the 90s, were going and racing at Philly right after they raced at Downers Grove or vice versa, and they would crush it. 
And that was just the way it is. You know, you and A. Volo, you seem to adapt to that theory that a good road racer does it all. Do you, first off, do you agree with the new version of Rob Kelly that says all road racing is good road racing? Yeah. I mean, I just like racing my bike. So if that means I have to do a crit or a stage race or a cyclocross race or a mountain bike race, I'm pretty much happy to do it all. You know, I might be better at some some disciplines of the sport than others, but I still enjoy doing all of them. Because, Alan, you definitely do all of them, all of them and then some. You know, do you, am I am I blowing your mind with this idea? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I guess I'm kind of in the same like arena as Scott. Like I just really enjoy riding and racing my bike. And then this year, especially kind of with the the limit of there only really being crit races, like get a little, I don't know, feel like a little stagnant maybe, or in between those races, you're just looking for something else to do. And yeah, this year, at least it seemed that the only thing to do was, was gravel racing. So it's pretty easy to, you know, just be like, ah, well, I want to do something. So I'll go over here where there's a race actually happening. But I mean, I think the, you know, like the skills and the fitness you get definitely like crossover between all kind of aspects of cycling. Um, I mean, yeah, just like the, the beginning of the cross season that Scott you've had probably shows like, you know, being able to handle your bike and being strong is going to directly translate into like success in cyclocross. I mean, Scott, you went from, you went from the back, the back of the field at go cross to a top 10. That that's not just because you're a fast road racer, is it? I mean, I've done cyclocross uh, before, like in college, I did the collegiate seasons. Basically, I just never really trained for it or or committed to it a whole lot. But it's not like I'm new to the sport at all. But there is, you know, there's a lot of skills that you need to remember how to do that I didn't quite <laughs> have time to do in the five days that I decided to do cyclocross. <laughs> yeah. How were your first couple, uh, like dismounts and remounts in the first couple of races there? Well, I, I go cross. I think there was only one dismount, so it wasn't too bad, but the clipping back in is the, has been my biggest struggle. I haven't, I'm, I'm, I've been practicing a lot, but clip it like at go cross. I think I would, I would ride for like almost a minute without being able to clip in through the next, you know, technical sections, especially because of the road shoes that didn't help because the adapter is like pretty hard to clip in with. But that was probably my biggest uh, thing that I couldn't really figure out was the clipping back in part. (laughs) The dismounting and remounting was fine and the running's fine. Um, There's not too much running in U.S. cyclocross races, so it wasn't too big of a deal. But definitely after those first couple weekends, I was pretty wrecked, like just from the the amount of like jumps you're doing in a cross race and the, a little bit of running and pounding. Yeah. Just, I wasn't used to that at all. So be brutal. Yeah. Uh, did you race, uh, Fayetteville, the Fayetteville yep. world cup? Uh, yep. So how was that being back in the mud? I, it was a bad race for me, not necessarily because of the mud. I just felt bad. I had bad legs and I think I was like the beginning of when I was getting sick. You know, and then everyone's of course going to say, "Oh, he's just a road racer; he can't ride in the mud or whatever." But I think I could, <laughs> you know, I think I can handle the mud. It was just, it was more like the pedaling in the mud, the low cadence torque work that I was struggling with too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Um, I'm also curious to hear what you thought about that course in general. Because uh, I guess you probably got to pre-ride it in the dry. Yeah, we rode it in the dry, and it was super fast, super hard, like hard ground, and um, like not a lot of the grass wasn't very thick, so it was real fast. I partic- I didn't really like the course in the dry or the wet. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad course or anything like that. But you know, there's only one dismount, so I, hopefully they add a few features for the World Championships, right? Uh, yeah. in, in January, yeah. Yeah, it was. It made for. I think the mud helped in terms of making it like pretty watchable. Uh, made things a little more interesting. But I would agree that I think they could. Like you know, all the turns are just real wide open and kind of not technical in any way. Yeah, you didn't really have to touch your brakes too much. Even the descent was just like slaloming your bike. It wasn't really mm-hmm. like much braking. But as soon as I said I didn't like the course, Gage said I told Gage that, and he's like, "Oh, I think this is my favorite course ever." So I mean, it just depends on who you ask. Yeah, for a guy, and he also did really well. So (laughs) yeah, yeah. I how this is amazing. This is how good a Volo is. I forgot Gage was on your team. Yeah, and I also forgot that you were the guy who got second at Clarendon, not Tyler. Tyler got second the day before. You were the guy who was chasing down Dr. Stephen Vogel that day. Yeah, I don't know which one's which name, but yeah, I got second on the second day of Armed Forces, yeah. How hard is that race? I didn't, I mean, it was hard, but that's like, you know, the race that suited to me the best is just long and hot, like where there's a lot of attrition. So I really liked it, but a lot of, you know, there's a lot of DNFs, which is, you know, that tends to be the races with the most DNFs are the best for me. Why is that? Why are you the guy that gravitates towards that as opposed to the guy who's just like Harlem, you know, at Harlem or at Boise, you don't ever have to stop pedaling. They are just perfect squares or perfect rectangles with wide 90 degree corners. Why do you like those hard, hard races where there is a real likelihood of DNFing? I just think it comes from a nature of, uh, I mean, I'm training for road races. So doing a lot of six or seven hour rides out in the heat. And I was before Armed Forces, I was getting ready for Knoxville usually is really hot. So I was, you know, doing a lot of uh, saunas and ride in the heat, specifically in the middle of the day and a lot of endurance training. So I think it just comes from a nature of training for road races rather than training for 60 minute crits. Oh, so you've bought into the Frank Cundiff sauna theory. <laughs> it might actually be more appropriate to say the Zach Gregg sauna theory, since he actually has the creds. Frank is just an engineer. You know, <laughs> can't trust them. Right, Alan? At all. Uh, so you actually do the sauna. Yeah. Someone um, gave us a sauna. So I have a sauna at my house, which is convenient. So I'll, I'll sometimes I'll just like text my mom 20 minutes where I'm home. Can you turn the sauna on and she'll flick it on. And, and then I get in right after it right. What temperature is the sauna set to? Uh, it's not set that hot. I think it's like 140 or something, but you sit right next to the heaters and it's real small. And it's like, so it, 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 you end up sweating a lot. I usually, I usually judge how long I sit in there by the puddle of sweat underneath me, how big, how big it is. It sounds like me doing Zwift. Uh, (laughs) is there like a, can I go on Amazon and buy a sauna? I don't know about Amazon, but you can buy them. The one that we got it, uh, you just like disassemble. We disassembled it, and it's like looks like it's made of wood and glass, and then it's infrared heat. 
I think some of them you you find you can like fit them in a closet almost like they're just just big enough for one person to to stand in or sit in. Yeah, mine's like a two personer. Mm-hmm. You can uh, they have tents that you can set up that you and your head sticks out <laughs> and you put it. <laughs> oh, that's the one you need. Definitely is. <laughs> travel with it <laughs> i'm gonna set it up in the front yard of my house and i'm just gonna sit there that'll be the perfect thing nobody will look at me weird at all here in dc can we go to boise uh, like can i like get on a plane right now and go to boise i've heard it's a really beautiful place this time of year but um i want to go to boise because we haven't talked that race to death enough as is you and your teammate cade were off the front at Boise for, I don't know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, super early in the race. And it, you know, like it wasn't a move that a lot of us would have chosen to make because it was 104 degrees on temperature wise. It was probably like 10 times as hot on the road, but you guys got off the front and you built up an actual sizable, you know, gap. And you got some great photos, by the way. Some of those photos are super pro. But going into a race like Boise, was there some kind of a strategy that you guys had that you wanted to employ from minute one to, you know, one to go? I wouldn't say there was necessarily a strategy for that race. That's just the way that we race. You know, we wanted to put some pressure on Legion and. Uh, do it early so that there's actually a chance that, you know, maybe their lead out does fall apart, which it rarely does. And ideally we would have had a couple more guys from other teams up there, but if we have to do it just by ourselves, then we'll do it by ourselves. Alan, what was it like in the field when they were up the road? Cause you were there, you were living the dream in that race. What was it like when Cade and Scott were up the road? I mean, I don't want to be harsh, but I think your guys' plan may have backfired a small amount when Best Buddies decided that they were going to be the ones to train it out. But so, yeah, I mean, in the in the bunch, it was great. It was a free ride. We were all just kind of hanging out and floating through the course, uh, not having to pedal very hard. <laughs> Let's say that the plan didn't work for Avolo. You and Kate got brought back. You know, what what was supposed to happen next in in the in the game plan pretty much the same thing just race aggressively and put some pressure on legion but in a lot of these races it ends up being you know you attack and then somebody else tries to follow and then you know a, a team other than legion ends up just bringing it back just the nature of how racing works rather than you know bigger gaps aren't formed that easily so you need a a sizable gap in order to actually put some pressure on them to get them you know to wear them down it's just hard to to form groups that can get a big enough gap, especially on a fast course like that. And it's too easy for, for Legion to really control it. I mean, I was just going to agree with him that, and especially this year, you know, with a lot of teams wanting to be involved, of course, and like who should be involved, you know, they just start jumping across in ones and twos and the more groups of ones and twos that you see trying to jump across, it just makes it that much easier for, the whole field to kind of come back up to the group. Yeah. So it is like, I don't know. We've talked about it a lot. It's a near impossible job. So a lot of us watched the queen's gambit. I'm confident during the course of the pandemic, because it was the coolest thing in the history of the world for a period of time, right after tiger King. Right. So let's just do queen's gambit. 
a lot of chess players practice the opening moves. Some of the better chess players practice the end game. So they basically scramble a board up and put pieces all over the place and they try to figure out how to win at the end because we know in bike racing, no plan ever survives that first corner of a crit or the first mile of a road race, whatever it happens to be. No plan survives, so being so tied into a precision plan doesn't seem to pay off. But if you look at the end game of that race, you got to subtract Cade from that equation. You and Sean McElroy end up going fourth and fifth. You know, walk us through how that ended up coming to be because like a lot of stuff was happening very, very fast in the last five laps of that race. Yeah. I, I have a tendency to just be able to stick on Sean's wheel and um, Sean is really good at, at holding his position. And he basically was following Justin for the last 10 laps of that race. And, and until basically the finish line, Sean didn't even know I was on his wheel for most, most of that, I bet, but I just feel comfortable, you know, following him. And um, so, and then it came down to the sprint, but it's really, you know, they went really fast for the last lap. So there's not much we could have done to try and come around Legion without having, you know, the, one of the best sprints in the world or anything like that. Some people have talked about coming over the top and that's what like best buddies did at, at Birmingham or at Spartanburg. I can't remember right now. Spartanburg. Is that something that you guys are capable of doing or is that just not in your wheelhouse? Strength wise? Yes. But Legion is very good at riding the course in a way that prevents that from happening. So, you know, in the last, there's a reason they can ride the whole race on the front because they're going fast, but not super fast because of the nature of the way that they ride. They take up a, a lot of the road. You got to pick the outside or the inside on, on most four corner crits. And they, it, it, there's not usually enough space in one straightaway to be able to come to pull your full train around Legion before the next corner. How does that work? What's the strategy that they employ to take up so much lateral space? Uh, just hugging the inside usually on the straightaway. So then, and then swinging out wide before the corner. That way, if you're coming around the outside on a straightaway, they swing out wide and, and basically kind of cut you off before they take the turn. And then they take the turn outside to apex to outside and then back to inside before the next straightaway. So they're taking up the entire road. So you have to pass them extremely fast, but they're already going so fast. So you have to go, you know, whatever, five or miles an hour faster than them in order to have enough real estate to get your whole team past them before the next turn. And even if you get past them, it's one person or two people as opposed to a six person squad. Exactly. And then, and then you get separated and then your two guys are basically leading Legion out. This is all just because Legion is the best team at doing this. <laughs> yeah. Their tactics are, are exactly what they should be doing. And they're really, really good at crits. That's a, that's an understatement probably. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if this is the right way to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. There is this kind of belief in the field. You know, when you talk to people about Scott McGill, there is this belief in the field that you are the best person 
in the field who doesn't win the race a lot of the times. And I don't know if that's fair. Looking at your results, you've definitely been on the podium a lot, but you seem to have had bad luck at some points in times, or just you've been in the wrong place at the wrong time at some points in times when, when the decisive moment has come, you know, there's, there's this streak in 2019, you know, cause 2020 didn't happen, but there's a streak in 2019 where there's a second, second, third, second. I mean, it's like all of these great races, collegiate nationals, Wilmington grand prix, you know, but there's not a lot of first places. Do you value those first places that you have part of the question one second part of the question do you think that that's a fair statement that you're the best guy in the field who just doesn't seem to win i don't know about the best guy in the field but yeah i definitely don't win a lot for a while there i was pretty good at getting like fifth through tenth that was like my sweet spot in a lot of the crits um especially when i was on gateway like 2019 2018 but yeah like at tulsa i've done tulsa twice and i've only ever been fifth through tenth on all six races of Tulsa that I've done, <laughs> which is, you know, the consistency is great. I, I never really have a bad day. Um, you know, I have some bad luck that takes me out of some races, but as you know, I, I have rarely have bad days, um, which I think is a, is a great, you know, trait to have, but as far as a, as winning races, um, I don't know. I just don't have, I'm not a pure sprinter. I'm not, I'm not, a pure climber or anything like that. So it's hard to win races when you're just kind of medium at everything. <laughs> if that makes any sense. It definitely does. It's just a question of like, there's a lot of dudes who are just like you. They're medium, you know, and you seem to be able to use that medium to get incredibly consistent, good results. Whereas somebody like, you know, me, I'm totally medium, even in the master's field, I'm medium and like, I'm not getting the same level of results as you are. So there's gotta be some secret sauce that you have tapped into where you can put yourself in that right position. And I'm just kind of curious if, if you've ever thought about that, what is, why are you so capable of being the guy who gets off the front, who animates, who finds himself on you know scott's on sean's wheel when he's chasing justin around it, you know is this just skill and experience or you know do you know a secret that you'd be willing to share with the rest of us so we could be better in cycling people like to designate themselves as a certain type of rider like you know a sprinter or a climber so if the course doesn't necessarily suit that you've already lost the race before the race even started because you already, Oh, this course doesn't suit me. I can't do, you know, well, or whatever, but, you know, say it's a mountain stage of some race, I'm trying to get in the breakaway, just, you know, doing the best I can. Or if I'm getting bottles, I'll get as many bottles as I can. Just trying to make the most of every race day, especially once, you know, in tw this year we didn't have many race days. So really making the most of every race was key. You know, there was a stage race in, in France that we did and the first stage, you know, pretty flat. It ended ended up ending in a sprint. But I got in um, the breakaway just in the nature of how I was racing in the beginning. I just ended up in the breakaway of, of three or four riders and we ended up getting caught 
400 meters before the line. So it, we almost pulled it off, but I was able to get uh, into the KOM jersey and I ended up, you know, that, that took me to the podium. So I got a lot more out of that race than say I got, you know, even if I got top 10 in the sprint or seventh or something, uh, you know, that wouldn't have netted me that much from that race. But since I was able to, uh, you know, get in, in the breakaway and, and not necessarily just sit in because I'm a quote unquote sprinter. So just not really designating yourself as a type of rider and trying to, to make the most out of every race. I am trying desperately to figure out how to pronounce the name of that race. Travers Le Haut de France. That's about as best as I can do. It was a it was a UCI two point two this year. You ended up third overall in the King of the Mountains classification. Yeah, yeah. So that's a that's not a bad day, now is it? Did you make that a bit of a focus once you were in the jersey after day one? Not really. We were still. I got a time bonus, so that race was all one on time bonuses. So we were focusing more on the time bonuses for the GC. But the climbs were were suited me because. Yeah, they were like less than a kilometer long, most of them. So real punchy climb. Like you would see a Katie go to the KOM going downhill. That's how you know. <laughs> short climb. <laughs> that doesn't sound very France-like. No, it was in Northern France. So You've actually gotten a chance and you're going to get more of a chance with, you know, wildlife to race outside of the United States. You know, you got to do the sun tour down in Australia in 2020. Uh, before the world shut down. You got to do races this year in France, in Greece, and in uh, the Netherlands. Is getting back to Europe a focus for you? Is that something that you want to do? Yeah, I'm I'm happy to race in, in the U.S., um, but definitely in Europe, there's a lot more, more opportunity, a lot more races. You know, the racing's a lot. I wouldn't say it's, it's, it's harder. It's just a lot. Like you, it just takes a lot to adapt to. You just gotta get used to fighting for a position so much more rather than in the U.S. It just takes some time. So definitely spending more time over there will be more beneficial for my career going going forward. And what, uh, if you don't mind my asking, like what kind of are your career goals? Like, so it seems coming off of Avolo and going to Wildlife Generation is like a pretty like decent step in the the right direction um what are you like most looking forward to um i just want to have a a long career racing uh bikes so uh i just like like racing my bike so if i can do that as long as possible at the highest level possible that's pretty much my goal i don't necessarily have any you know want to win the tour de france or anything like that i mean i would love to but (laughs) but that's not like there's no necessarily like races I want to participate in or races I want to win. It's more just, I want to enjoy racing my bike and have a long career doing, you know, I I love doing it. So I want to Mm -hmm. keep doing it. Yeah. So when you like go out for a six hour training ride, you're not necessarily thinking like you, like, like you said, wanting to win the tour de France, isn't what's motivating you to get out there. It's just kind of being able to make a living doing something that you really enjoy. Yeah, pretty much. I want to make a living doing this and, I'm I'm really motivated by more short-term goals rather than long-term goals. Right. Um, so like na- the nationals road race is something that gets me really excited and I can, mm-hmm. that can motivate me through the whole winter um, because I think that course, you know, suits me really well. And, and I can, I, I know I can definitely uh, win that race on, on the right day. So that's yeah. pretty much what made it motivates me too. 
Well, since we're talking about nationals and we're getting close here to the end, we got to talk about that criterium at nationals this year because there's the infamous black hole, uh, that portion of the course where there were no cameras and that, you know, some people as a brooder taped everything that they could find to figure out what happened in that, what was it, second to go or second to last corner where all of the action ended up happening that found you on the ground and Corey Williams on the ground and then Brandon Fury doing the most amazing endo that I've ever seen a bike rider do. Uh, thankfully, he's okay. <laughs> but going into that last lap, why don't you pick it up for for us going into the one-to-go mark you know, everybody kind of knows what was happening at that point in time. Elevate was coming to the front to really start disrupting what was left of that race. Yeah. So our plan um, going into the race was basically to leave it to the last lap and only have basically four guys like do the lead out. Uh, because if you try to get your whole team around, it's just too many guys. So we wanted it was uh, Gage, Cade, Sean and I. And we wanted to basically take it from that downhill. There's the first left-hander. And then on that downhill hit the front with just three eyes in front of me. Um, and that was enough to get to the, to the finish line. Uh, but we ended up losing, you know, lost a guy and gauge ended up sticking to the plan and going to the front, but I didn't want to follow just in case because it was only one guy and get, and get stuck on the front. So I ended up sticking with Sean and just kind of surfing the wheels in, in the last lap. And then coming into the turn, the, the third corner, um, it was kind of just, that's kind of where the sprint starts on that course, because you want to be, you know, up there coming into the last couple turns. Cause it's so tight. That's where we started sprinting. I ended up on Corey's wheel coming into the third to last corner. And then uh, we ended up coming, taking the inside kind of, I was on his wheel and we moved up a couple spots and then I saw Corey kind of move to the inside and I thought he was trying to take the inside of Eric Young and Sam Bassetti and be first into the second to last turn. But I don't know if he was just covering his inside and that's what I thought in the moment that he was dive bombing them not dive bomb, but taking them on the inside and trying to, to take the, the lead. And so I took the outside and I thought, I'm just going to carry as much speed around this corner as I can. And then Corey ended up hitting the brakes or covering his inside. And I don't know what his thought was doing that. He could have just been covering his own inside, but then, and then when he hit the brakes, we ended up coming through the turn basically side by side. And I was like, I got to sprint out of this corner to get my handlebars in front of his handlebars basically before, <clears throat> but then, and then he, I think he was trying to limit my space up against the curb. So I never hit the curb or the barrier or anything. And then Corey ended up crashing. We never really collided too much. You know, we might've bumped a little bit, but nothing, nothing too much. Corey ended up hitting my bike somehow. And I rolled a, a tubular, my tubular popped off. And so I never actually crashed. I just skidded to a stop because my tire popped off my rear wheel. And then I just like unclipped and like got off my bike and was like, oh, wow, that sucks. 
That's the most casual explanation. (laughs) Were you expecting Sam Bassetti and Eric Young what they did? Because the fans, those of us who were watching, when they came to the front, just a little bit before that that third to go corner up that rise, it was just like, whoa, where did Elevate come from? We haven't seen them all year. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were, we were in Knoxville for two weeks before the race. So we watched Tulsa as a team and, you know, part to just because we like watching races and part to do, you know, a little like scouting or whatever you want to call it. And they did not look good at Tulsa, but Eric and Sam are, you know, two of the best, most experienced crit riders in in the country. So you never can really count them out. It just seemed like they weren't on good form, but it wasn't, that surprising that they did that i I didn't expect it but i I wasn't surprised by it either because gage if i recall correctly going down that long stretch gage had everybody strung out it was it was a it was a sight to see because i mean you easily had to be going 45 at that point in time down that hill Maybe I i don't really look at the data or anything like that. I have no idea how fast we're going. But yeah. I love the purity in that. We're just going to go hard and I, I'll start sprinting at some point in time. That's the most pure form of bike racing ever. But, you know, the way that you describe it, you know, there's there is three corners to go. We all know because we've listened to the show. We've listened to Emma White talk. We've listened to Travis McCabe talk. You know, we've listened to the people who've won the race in Luke, for example, talk. Everybody knows that three corners to go is where that sprint starts because that's where the race goes from a wide open, you know, four corner style crit to a actually pretty darn technical, you know, set of corners. And so the sprint starts with three to go. You're on Corey Williams's wheel and going into that last corner he starts to move in to take the inside line. You have momentum because you're behind him. You're going hard. You've got an open space. You can get around the front. And so it sounds like in the way that I've watched the video, you got around him. You had that clear shot at that point in time towards the final corner and towards the win. Is that what you recall? Yeah, because... If, you know, when Corey crashed, I don't know how he crashed. You know, it it was a crash. It was an accident or whatever. It wasn't like nobody did anything wrong in this. In my opinion, nobody did anything wrong. But if he was in front of me, I would have crashed probably. But he was just that little bit behind me. So he ended up hitting my rear wheel. And that's how my tire uh, came off. What were you're going to do? What was the next step? You had clear space. You had barriers on your right side. You had curb on your right side. There wasn't a lot of room left for you to go. You still had Sam and Eric in front of you. Would you have been able to get around them? You know, you can never say I could do that. I mean, maybe six or seven times out of 10, I'd get around them in that scenario, but you can never say I would. But there's no way of knowing either. <laughs> you feel like you had good legs on the day though? Yeah, I, I couldn't, I, you know, it was one of those days where you just, can't, you know, you can't feel the chain at all. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. I definitely felt good. And I still, you know, I, 
as far as I recall, when I got off my bike, I like wasn't even I wasn't exhausted or anything. I wasn't breathing heavy or what you know, I, I still had a sprint in me. So I would have liked to see what would have happened, but can't go back in time. So it is what it is. On to the next. I was I was just focused, you know, I was I was upset for maybe 15, 20 minutes and then I was focused on the road race. You know, forget about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't remember too many wildlife guys being in the crit specifically. Is that something that you will want to attack next year as well, or will you guys sort of just focus on the road race? Yeah, well, if if, if you watch the race again, I mean, Alex and Noah came into the third corner, third to last turn in front of me and Corey. So Noah had a good shot of the win too. Noah's done well in in races like that as well. So. Yeah, we'll probably do the crit. Um, as not like Rally, who skipped on out on it completely, but right. Um, it'll probably be similar. Where you know, focus on the road race, but mm-hmm. it'd be nice to podium or 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 win the crit as well. Because Noah ended up twelfth on the day, which is a, a phenomenal result given the chaos that ended up happening. And Alex was just in front of him at tenth, and one spot behind your teammate Alan Andrew Janot. Yeah, who just bobbed and weaved his way right through that crash. Uh, you know, Scott, what do you want? You know, 2022 is going to be, you know, a big year for you. Is there anything other than, for example, U.S. Nationals in, in Knoxville in 2022? Is there anything else that you're specifically looking forward to or that you, you're you really kind of just curious about? I guess looking forward to doing, you know, new races. Hopefully, you know, Redlands will happen. Uh, I, a lot of those stages suit me pretty well where it's, you know, hard racing, uh, a good amount of climbing, but but still sometimes finishes in a sprint. So, um, you know, I was second in the crit at Redlands, I think, in 2019 to Noah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, if that race uh, will happen next year, that will be uh, a target for me. But definitely my number one goal is the the pro road race nationals yeah uh and are you gonna are you planning on doing elite nationals for cyclocross this this winter yeah so i'm gonna do uh the first day northampton um falmouth uh hendersonville pan ams nationals and then we'll see about the the world championships uh i would have to qualify first obviously but yeah Uh, a lot of unknowns with the cyclocross because i just decided to do this you know the week of the first race (laughs) (laughs) right that's pretty insane uh you feel like you're gonna dethrone gauge for the uh the jersey gauge Gage is coming on to some good form and yeah there's a reason he's won nationals in 2019 (laughs) so yeah as long as if one of us wins that's all that matters that crit at redlands that noah beat you in this is the top 10 noah granigan scott mcgill Jarrett Oldham from First Internet Bank, Michael Garrison from Landis, Mike Hernandez, then Eric Bruner, Quinn Simmons, Chris Rickert from Team's Mike, Team Mike's Bikes, Alex Hohen of Avolo, and then Luke Lamperti. That is an insane top 10 from just two years ago. So Luke was like 16 years old at that point? <laughs> he might not even have been in high school. You never know. His parents had to drive him to the race. Oh my God. So true. So true. Well, Scott, thank you absolutely so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. Sure. Yeah. 
Nice talking to you. for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. WideAnglePodium.com. Go there. Check out the full bevy, the literal bevy of shows that are available for you and your earbuds and for your listening pleasure. Today's show was written, produced, and edited by me with assistance from our senior men's correspondent, Alan Schroeder. A special thanks to Scott McGill of A.A. Volo for joining us and to Bruce Buckley for providing us with all of the art that we've been sharing with you on Instagram. We will be off next week for Thanksgiving. Go out, enjoy your time with family and friends, but then we'll be back again the week after with more stories from our Criterium Nation. <laughs>